This morning, we are hearing from the American soldier now home in North Texas after the president pardoned his prison sentence. Some 250 people gathered in the, Hunt, in the Hunt County town of Merritt last night to show their support for Army First Lieutenant Clint Lawrence. He arrived in the back of a pickup truck and spoke to the crowd from a stage draped in red, white, and blue. In 2013, Lawrence was convicted of second-degree murder for ordering his men to fire upon Afghan civilians. After serving six years of a 19-year prison sentence, he was granted full clemency by President Donald Trump on Friday. Last night, in front of family and friends, he thanked the president and the people who never gave up on him. Lieutenant Lawrence says there were uh, only a dozen days in those six years that he did not receive a letter of support from someone. Along with Lawrence, the president also pardoned another soldier and restored a Navy SEAL's rank. Pentagon officials had advised against those pardons, saying it could potentially damage the military's judicial system. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast, or the War Crimes cast, because that's all I ever get to talk about anymore. I'm Joe, and with me today is everybody. I'm Joe. I fucked it up. <laughs> Hold on, let me see if I can Your get this. Your name is Nick. Let oh. me see if I can get this right. Hello. <laughs> and that's <laughs> Does Rich. Does that sound like you? <laughs> yeah, close enough. And we have Leica, who is chewing in her paw right now. Um, I would like to apologize to um, everybody for doing this episode because I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. They it, it pulled me back in. I mean, aren't most donkeys like war criminals pretty much just most of them aren't still alive. Well, it's very true. Most of them aren't currently on Fox News every fucking six. hours. That's what happens when you're always in a war, Joe. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I I thought about doing this episode on Clint Lawrence, but then I changed my mind. Because it's like, in the grand scheme of things, Clint Lawrence doesn't matter. But that changed recently. Uh, we just covered Robert Bales, and these two do come together at the end, which I'll go into. And they're very, very, like, the, time, the timelines are, are pretty much in this, like, the same, right? Uh, same ballpark, but not quite. Lawrence is after uh, Bales by only a, a, a short amount of time. Oh, okay. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, a criminally inept fucking lieutenant ordering the deaths of two people is hardly noteworthy. And I don't mean to say that to sound callous. We study military history. We talk, we've been talking about it now for almost two years. Um, but we, we routinely talk about the deaths of thousands, if not millions of people. So, I mean, I, I've grown a bit dead inside. And I was going to say, you know, because the reason why this wasn't supposed to matter, and I think you two can agree with me here, is that at its surface, the story of Clint Lawrence should have been a case study about how the, mil how the military and the military justice system functions and is supposed to work. I mean, you have a guy who breaks the law. You have a, him being held accountable by his own soldiers. And then you have him being brought to trial for his crimes and then being rightfully found guilty by the UCMJ and thrown in prison. That should have been how this ended. Right. I would really love to agree with you there, but just knowing the military justice system as I know it, obviously no. I mean, normally you'd be right, but the military justice system is not what fucked up here. It is not. Um, you can say a lot about it. 99% of it will probably be true, but this should have been the case study of like, you know, it sometimes works. And then, you know, like maybe Bales as well, but mostly this one because you don't normally see this happen ever. 
Like the only other time I've ever heard of a guy being turned in by his own soldiers is Eddie Gallagher. But yeah, they both both these yeah. guys have the same end story now, which we will talk about. Um, so what really changed me wanting to do this? Because I, I have to say, I wrote this script before he was pardoned, and it had to be edited since then. Um, is I saw the documentary series Leavenworth, uh, which depending on when you are listening to this, um, it very well may still be airing on the Stars Network. Um, the series in a na- the now popular vein of a true crime docu series like Making a Murderer attempts to se- shed some light on the case of Lieutenant Clint Lawrence. Now, on a small side note here, uh, there will be a bonus episode where uh, I will talk about the the series in depth with one of Clint Lawrence's former squad leaders, Mike McGinnis. Um, but we will be referring back to this documentary uh, to talk about some of its more glaring faults, falsehoods, and all around bad arguments, as well as some of the people that pop up in the documentary. Um, but it won't be the main resource that we use here. How did his story get? A documentary. That's what I'm. That is the story that none of us can seem to figure out. Honestly, Um, of all the people currently wasting away in Leavenworth, his is hardly the least noteworthy, in my opinion. That is really interesting. But I also thought that the documentary, like they they represented both sides, but at the same time, because they did, they interviewed a lot of people who were against him being pardoned, who definitely thought he was guilty, who definitely Mm -hmm. had a lot of. experience and evidence pointing towards him being guilty right but then it's hard to say that the whole point of the whole thing wasn't towards pushing through the pardon i have no doubt well this the show started being filmed before the idea of a pardon was really on the table wasn't taken very seriously Um, but he was coming up for parole and that would have been that window would have been about the same from my understanding but i have no doubt in my mind that this was sold to Clint Lawrence as a good thing. Otherwise, he would not have taken part. Definitely. And he never once like made any sort of inclination that he was actually guilty or that he did anything wrong. He never or once that... accepted guilt. No. Except, you know, by the... Or even regret. No, no. The only, the closest thing he came to saying was that he took responsibility for what happened that day. Not that he was sorry for it. He still doesn't believe he did anything wrong. But we'll get to that point. Yay! I haven't seen this. Uh, it's, so it's, why are you even here, Nick? It's, uh, well, that's the thing is it's okay because it's not the main reference point that we use here. And every argument that the documentary makes that I will attack, I will bring up their argument as well. And why it's dumb. Um, now this series as rich can attest, because I forced her to watch it with me, drove me up a fucking wall. Uh, in it, the director's clearly attempting to show Lawrence any sympathetic light. This is despite the fact that, in the so far five hours and some change of the show, there might be a sixth episode are, uh, are dedicated to the soldiers who served under Lawrence uh, and those being the same ones who reported him and made sure that he was outed as a murderer, a piece of shit. And now that we know it and like um, now that he did not knowing what he was doing, like it, he acted in malice effectively to me, that is, that is pretty insulting to the people who, put their fucking skin on the line um, to, to do the right thing uh, to, to really give a lot of fucking camera time uh, to carry Lawrence's baggage. Um, but that's why we're talking about Clint Lawrence today. Cause I got really mad at the TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> your TV's still alive, yeah. which is good. Yeah. I, I'm getting better, Nick. I, I, <laughs> I rarely break TVs. 
Um, just so people cannot accuse me of saying uh, or, or using openly critical sources um, for this show, I have found the best biography possible that would put Clint Lawrence in a good light. One that was almost certainly written by his own mother from freeclintlawrence.com. Uh, now, it, it leaves some stuff out. <laughs> you know, I did walk in on you guys watching an episode, and I did not enjoy his family. Oh, boy. We'll talk about them. I oh, promise. Cool. Good. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll save my comments for when we actually talk about them, I guess. Clint Lawrence was born on December 13th, 1984, in the rural town of Hobart, Oklahoma. Uh, the series uh, goes into great lengths about just how rural this town is. Uh, like, it's one of those ones that they let, like, kids that work the farm off school early to do farm stuff. Wait, you said Oklahoma? Yeah. I thought he was from Texas. He moves to Texas later, but oh, okay. he's originally from Oklahoma. Um, but it, it's, um, I think it's pretty close to the border. I'm not really sure. Um, yeah, those Oklahoma, two states just Oklahoma's blend together right to me. To Texas, yeah. um, but it, the, the, the show goes into great lengths to like just, just to show how down home they are. It's completely <laughs> unimportant. But yeah. Um, as soon as Clint could, he got his GED and enlisted the Army as an MP on December 13th, 2002, on his birthday. Because that his, so he attempted to enlist when he was 17, and his parents wouldn't let him. So he'd wait until his 18th birthday to do so. Right. Sucker. Uh, <laughs> now, his website bio skips over the fact as to why Clint was so desperate to leave his small town and got his GED instead of graduate high school because he could get his GED faster. Uh, that was because Clint was a closeted gay man in a very, very small town in a rural community. Now, normally, I would not bring up somebody's sexual orientation because as far as this podcast goes, it is generally immaterial to the fact that he is a war criminal. Uh, and in this case, it also is immaterial to the fact so he is a war criminal. does not fucking matter. Oh, it does not. Uh, but the documentary makes this a very important point of its Like an entire fucking episode. Yeah, it goes on it, it, for almost an hour about... Um, and now I will give credit where credit is due. They talked about how awful Don't Ask, Don't Tell was. And it was fucking terrible but that should have been an entirely different documentary yes. because it had nothing to do with anything that would be like if they just suddenly cut off and like by the way uh mitochondria is a powerhouse of a cell <laughs> it uh, the 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 plight of clo- of forcefully closeted gay soldiers and airmen and marines all that shit needs to be talked about because don't ask don't tell was a criminally negligent policy to have but it has nothing to do with clint Lawrence. He was one of, I'm assuming, tens of thousands of people in uniform that had to live under this horrific policy. Okay. It does have a very, very small, small thing to do with Clint Lawrence because the only reason he got moved to that unit was because of something to do with the fact that he was gay. He would have always ended up in, in that platoon. There, 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 was no, there was no way around it. Um, simply because he was working in the talk and they needed a lieutenant. Um, it always would have happened. They made it. They made it sound like like something. And, like, and he would have been given the platoon uh, a command of a different platoon. They like forcefully outed him or something, and that's why they changed him to that platoon. No, um, he was uh, in a situation where uh, his boyfriend had sent something to him, and his uh, the people in his unit found out about it, and they gave him shit, which is unacceptable. Um, but. It, it, that does not change the trajectory of the the deaths of two people. 
No, and it doesn't it doesn't require an entire episode to say, oh, he was gay and his life was so hard and that's why he committed fucking war crimes and murdered people. Right, right. Um, I mean, th- that story needs to be told, uh, but this is not the outlet in which to do it. There's it dishonors the, the honorable conduct of gay soldiers and airmen and Marines and everything in between. Yep. Um, it, it attempts to pull them out as some kind of moral blanket. Uh, and it's not cool. It's fucking bullshit. Um, it has nothing to do with his crimes, and it's very clear that since they talked for almost an hour uh, about how Clint had to deal with uh, the the bullying and everything that comes with his orientation to draw sympathy for him. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mean to belittle or demean anyone's trauma uh, 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 that they would suffer from bigotry and homophobia while in uniform. And, you know, if that was the only thing that Clint Lawrence did in his life, I would feel sorry for him. Uh, and it's sad how normal. But he's a murderer. Military. Yeah. And it's still largely it's normal. normal. Yeah. Um, it, like, I mean, don't ask, don't tell might seem like a long time ago for some people, but it wasn't. It was like 2010, wasn't it? It it was in effect when I enlisted, and it was done by the time I was out. I don't remember the exact dates, but I re- I remember, and it it was it's not ancient history for sure. No, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it was 2010 or 2011 that was finally repealed. It was either while we were getting ready to deploy or while we were deployed. I don't remember, but again, not important <laughs> for this episode. Uh, I would love to do an entire episode of how awful that policy was, but it has nothing to do with Clint Lawrence. Um, but the directors did talk about this for longer than they talked about Clint Lawrence actively ordering the deaths of two people and almost the death of a third. Uh, that part is we all important. have our priorities. Yeah. Um, I mean, they interview more people, which I will, I guess you could call them um, character witnesses in this case, because he was still in prison um, about regarding his sexual orientation. than they do Afghans regarding the deaths of their loved ones. Really? Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And it should be noted, I believe his cousin is gay. And he's like, yeah, that town sucked and I left, but I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, Lawrence's first duty station was in Korea, which I'm sure pissed him off because he always cites the fact that he wanted to deploy and fight in a war as a why he enlisted. Uh, Instead, he went to Pusan. Once he was there, he did all the things that that one guy in your platoon does that uh, nobody ever likes. That is, he won the Soldier of the Month, NCO of the Quarter. He ran marathons and Ironman races, and he eventually became the school dare officer like a total fucking loser. Fucking high speed as fuck. What a square, dude. But, <laughs> but still a poke. Uh, <laughs> would not have been friends with this guy. <laughs> nobody would have been. Uh, of all the people they interview, like one of them was his friend. <laughs> I wonder how he feels about that. She seemed okay. I really? mean, yeah. It, like, it didn't really seem like she wanted to be involved in the documentary. Uh, he eventually left Korea for Alaska and then went to Georgia for airborne school. Uh, while in Alaska, he deployed direct for 15 months, which was largely unremarkable. I tried to do a lot of research on this. I couldn't find much, and I wasn't going to FOIA his DD-214, and I didn't care that much. Uh, but his first deployment uh, goes pretty much undiscussed. Um, and from what I can tell, he was never awarded anything that would um, denote combat service. Uh, the New York, Ti- a New York Times article goes out of its way to say he had no prior combat experience before his deployment to Afghanistan. So we can assume he was pulling people over uh, on some large fob in Iraq or something. After that, he entered an ROTC program at the University of Northern Texas, uh, where he was a member of a pre-law frat called Phi Alpha Delta. 
Now, not only is he a frat douche, this frat includes alumni like former Presidents Truman, Harding, Carter, Clinton, and Taft, eight current or former Supreme Court justices, and also Joe Biden. Uh, so we could assume this is some like skull and bones yes. type shit. Gross. All, all like, around good people. Like yeah. he definitely had to put his dick in a skull during an initiation <laughs> ceremony. Fucking frats. Like, how are those even still a thing? <laughs> uh, because rich people's kids can't sexually assault people with impunity unless a large crowd of people are involved. <laughs> Uh, he graduated in 2010 and was commissioned as an infantry lieutenant in the United States Army and sent to Fort Benning. Uh, he was assigned to 82nd Airborne, 4th BCT, and in 2012, he was deployed to Kandahar, Afghanistan. And for reasons that are pretty fucking obvious at this point, this is where his biography on the website stops. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, like, it, it's like the Family Guy episode <laughs> where they're talking about what, why is there no history between 1935? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing happened! He's on vacation! <laughs> Uh, originally, Lawrence was put into the TOC, or the Tactical Operations uh, Command Center, as a liaison officer. <laughs> what was that word again? L- liaison. <laughs> liaison. You said that super weird the first time. It's my announcer voice. Uh, <laughs> but so the area that he went to in Kandahar is pretty hot, as Kandahar is never a peaceful place, even in the best of times. I wrote a book about it. Uh, and according to Lawrence, yeah, uh, Lawrence's former soldiers, it was not uncommon for them to get in a firefight several times a day. So it's not a great place to be living, but he is comfortably in a tent for this period. Uh, and in a perfect world, he never would have left that tent or been in command of a platoon. But we do not live in a perfect world. The platoon's original leader, Lieutenant Latino, was eventually wounded, leaving the position of platoon leader vacant. They looked around and were like, oh, fuck, he's another lieutenant. Plug him in. <laughs> Uh, nobody really knew anything about the guy. Uh, I talked to a couple of his former soldiers and most people didn't really know he existed or they knew him as the talk rat. Um, <laughs> like most people who aren't working talks. Um, he was put in charge of the platoon station, a small mud brick compound that overlooked a grape field. Almost as soon as he got to the command post, he began doing some off-putting shit. Uh, Now, this is according to a soldier who was there, and this is from a New York Times article called Cause Celebrity Scorned by His Troops. Quote, He looks like an all-American sweetheart when you meet him, Sergeant Williams said in an interview, but he's just so aggressive. One of the first things he said to us was, we're going to go in Gestapo-style with night raids, pull people out of their houses, and make them afraid of us. Whoa. Don't name drop the Gestapo. Jesus Christ. (laughs) That escalated quickly. This is this is Who uses the Gestapo? This is that game for the two guys in the Death's Head SS uniforms. Like, wait, are we the bad guys? (laughs) I will say, he really does look like your all American sweetheart, though. Yeah, if you were like gonna put an American soldier like face on something, it would look similar like him, like a largely featureless white guy. No, yeah, he, sh- he should be the face of the fucking United States Army if he wasn't a war criminal. Well, good news, he kind of is now. <laughs> uh, so what did he do on his first day in command of his new platoon? Anybody? Anybody? Did they go in Gestapo style? Uh, they Heart- did not. Not hearts yet. And minds. Okay. Uh, hearts and so minds. Hearts and minds. So do you think like he got to know any of his soldiers or anything? I would hope so. Wrong. <laughs> You're damn wrong. It. I forgot. We're on and, this show. And, damn it. <laughs> and the source for, for this next part might tell you where this leads. This is from uh, the court paperwork from his appeals process, the United States Army Court of Criminal Appeals, which is actually not something I knew existed until this episode. Uh, on the second day, he was in charge of the platoon. They were on a. So, this, sorry, this is the, um, the first day. 
uh, from the first day that he was in charge. They were on a patrol from Strong Point Garaban to Strong Point Perenzai, which is where they lived, or Payenzai, which of the two. As they approached the entry control point, Lawrence encountered an Afghan man and a young child who were hanging out near the entry. They had questions. The villagers asking soldiers if they could move some concertina wire that had recently been placed in his field because it was hurting his ability to work. Because uh, that's like how he provides for his family. Right. This is a pretty common request, and I can attest that U.S. forces are largely ignorant to the day-to-day life of the Afghans that surround them and are impacted by their work. That's not a controversial statement. So there's a good chance the wire was placed there without knowing it would hamper the poor old man's ability to farm. Easy enough request. Lawrence told the villager that if his family touched the concertina wire, they'd all be killed. Uh, really? He, like yep. him and his whole family? Yep. Oh, yep. Good, good guy. He decided threatening the man verbally and everyone he loved was not serious enough, so he charged his weapon and pointed at the child. What? Yep. After this, he, uh, he, he told them to leave and don't forget to come to the weekly Shura. <laughs> no, now, no thank you for people who are unaware a shura is a gathering of elders that come together as a kind of local government uh or in this case uh it's like a, a meeting from all the local elders with uh the u.s commanders in the area it's like an airing of grievances how can i help you what happened stuff like that the way to get people to come to those is not by threatening to kill their family yeah that's super aggressive man yeah yeah uh i mean imagine like well, this this is kind of what happens if you're of a certain persuasion in this country. But imagine you go to like a police station to report a crime. They beat the fucking dog shit out of you. They're like, see you later. <laughs> you I won't. Mean, you fucking won't. But he's in his own country. Yeah. He's in Afghanistan and he's an Afghan man. Like uh-huh. he should. Be you are correct. <laughs> Astute observation. <laughs> Anymore. Yeah. I mean. Uh, from my uh, experience, Afghans, depending on where you are uh, and what their history with Americans are, are much more likely to come to Americans and Afghan soldiers to, to, for help because Afghans will just steal their shit and demand a bribe. <laughs> uh, but I, I would rather pay a bribe than to have some fucking asshole from Oklahoma threaten my family. If I want to do that, I'll go ask an uh, Oklahoman police officer for help, I guess. <laughs> Oh, by the way, he was a police explorer once and wants to be a police officer. So that might be in your future, Hobart. Uh, really? Yep, yep. Uh, now, remember, this is the first day. He was the hall monitor in middle school, wasn't he? He, <laughs> he, he was definitely the guy who ran it on somebody for smoking a cigarette in the bathroom. Where's your hall pass? Yeah. Uh, he's the guy that when Fuck he you, Lawrence. he's the guy that yeah. when he he did not get invited to a party at school, he called the cops because the kids had alcohol. <laughs> He has wedgie calluses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, this is the first day. Day one. Day two. Off to a great start. Again, this is according to the court documents. The next day, he wrote a sharpshooter to fire indiscriminately into a nearby village for no reason. Mm. Yep, that happened. Uh, so this included randomly shooting it uh, or near people's feet to scare them. In other cases, it were just shooting uh, around them to toy with them as they ran for their lives. Lieutenant Lawrence, why are we doing this again? For fucking funsies, man. Yeah. Now, the one thing that stopped this, according to the sharpshooter, was uh, he ordered him to shoot at women and children, which he was like, bro, those are kids. And he was like, oh, my bad. I totally didn't know that. Now, in the documentary, he claims it's because he ha- he didn't have um, as good a sight as the, uh, the the marksman, but he had fucking binoculars. And there's pictures that show it. <laughs> 
bro, my bad yep. only works in certain situations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now Shooting at children is not one of them. Now, his excuse for this was to, again, get people to come to the Shura. That's not how this works. What? Yep. That, That's what, I mean, it's a bullshit excuse. I don't. It's it's hard to tell what he believes at this point. To be point. fair, this all sounds very American. It sounds very lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that didn't happen during this whole thing is he didn't get lost, as far as I'm as far as I know. Um, now, uh, obviously, gunshots are fucking loud. So a nearby base called their base to be like, "Hey, what's going on? I hear gunfire." Uh, so Lawrence ordered NCO to respond with a false report saying that they were taking fire. Now, I should have to point out here. Maybe I don't, but I should. Uh, that ne- in neither of those cases, the sharpshooter or that NCO should have obeyed Lawrence's orders because they were illegal, but they did. Uh, now, eventually, the sharpshooter did say, you know what? This is enough legal stuff for me. You're going a little bit too far, which I, I guess good for you. But like, that's the bare minimum, man. <laughs> you still shot at innocent people. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so the day after that, Lawrence gathered his platoon together to day tell- three. Yes. Okay. The and the last day. <laughs> day three. Um. So he gathered his platoon together to tell them that the rules of engagement in the area had changed. He told them that ever everybody that they were now allowed to fire on every and any motorcycle they saw. This is crazy for several reasons. At the same time in Afghanistan, ROEs were only getting tighter uh, in order to minimize the risk of civilian casualties. Definitely not more lenient. Uh, this is from an article uh, aptly titled and written by Adam Linehan as Why I Think Clint Lawrence is a Murderer. <laughs> uh, That's a good title. Solid article. It's on task and purpose. Uh, now, quote, the rules which General David Petraeus tightened to reduce civilian casualties when he assumed command of the International Security Assistance Force in Afghanistan in 2010 are in place to give soldiers pause uh, to force them to consider if the kill is worth it. In his directive, Petraeus urged soldiers to hold their fire when unsure if a target is a combatant or a civilian, but he made it very clear that they had a right to defend themselves. Um, but, yeah, uh, this, uh, this definitely did not, this is not an order that would have been approved by General Petraeus. Shoot at every motorcycle? Yeah, fucking half the Afghans are driving motorcycles. The roads don't fucking accommodate Fuck. much more. I would say it's more like 80% of all <laughs> Afghan transportation is via motorcycle. Yeah. Um, they are literally everywhere. Um, this would be like somebody ordering police officers on a military base to shoot every Mustang that drives by. <laughs> <laughs> or every fucking Charger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, now, Lawrence had signs printed off and hung up around the base telling soldiers of this new order. Was he excited about it? Like, uh, it really just seems like he was a guy that was out for blood. Yeah. Wait, use valuable fucking printer ink for this bullshit. That is the true crime here. Yeah. For real. Yeah. Yeah. That's just expensive. The army doesn't like to pay for that shit. The soldiers in Lawrence's unit were immediately shocked by this uh, because of everything I just point out they already knew. Uh, so much so that the platoon sergeant and several squad leaders told their soldiers to disregard the order that the lieutenant had just told them about. Yeah, the LT had a sinister laugh at the printer while these were printing off. So, sorry. Yeah. We're still army prosecutors during his trial showed evidence, namely no official change in the ROE, that the ROE had never actually been changed, meaning that he had pulled it totally and completely out of his ass for no reason. Now, an argument made by some of his supporters and something that Lawrence has kind of sort of hinted to is that he heard of this change from Afghan soldiers. Now, this is both a hilarious lie uh, and just a galaxy brain argument to have uh, because anybody 
who is familiar with how the Afghan-U.S. force relationship works knows that the Afghan army do not put rules in place of U.S. army soldiers. No. Fucking never. Um, but that has been ruled out. Yep. What? Yep. It's really dumb, but yep. Uh, after that meeting on July 2nd, 2012. I'm sorry. So these fuckers who half the time don't even wear fucking shoes. No, you're thinking of Afghan police. The soldiers are better. Okay. I withdraw That is a low bar, though. Again. That is a low bar. Now, you, I remember when we were deployed, 99% of Afghan security forces you saw were Afghan police. Well, we worked with the army for half the year and the police for half the year. Yeah, like I said, the army's not much better, but it's a low bar. <laughs> so same, same. Yeah, same, but different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, after that meeting on July 2nd, 2012, Lawrence led his platoon and several members of the Afghan army out on a patrol. They're almost immediately confronted by angry villagers who want to know why the fuck they had just been shot at the day before. Reasonable. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence told them to fuck off, and they could talk about during the Shura. Now, in the documentary, one of Lawrence's squad leaders uh, points out pretty obviously, like, bro, they're right here. We can just talk to him right now. <laughs> uh, because, well, yeah. Uh, but Lawrence instead threatens to kill them if they don't leave and begins a, a countdown from five. Jesus. Yep. He really likes the murder threat. Yeah, as long as he doesn't have to do it himself, apparently. Uh, the villagers decide they didn't really want to get murdered, so they leave, and the patrol went on its way. Shortly after that, Private First Class Skelton recorded to Lawrence that a motorcycle was approaching with three people on it. Skelton did not report that the motorcycle was doing anything hostile or even coming towards the patrol. It was driving laterally to them. He was just doing his job like, hey, there's a vehicle over there. You do that on a patrol. Lawrence immediately began to order soldiers to open fire on it, but nobody did. Eventually, he directed... Uh, now, there's, there's kind of a funny part, uh, if your brain is damaged and uh, dead like mine, where he's like, why is nobody firing? And everybody's like, because it's not a threat. <laughs> like, he's... Not, he's not a, super funny, Joe. He's obviously stomping around like a petulant child, yeah. upset that nobody's listening to him to kill those innocent <laughs> people. Uh, but he eventually points out Skelton individually and tells him to fire. Now, um, Lawrence kind of demures from ex- from accepting that responsibility and says, you can fire on them if you want. In the documentary, he doesn't really accept that he's like, Skelton, shoot them. But Skelton testified contrary to that. <laughs> and so did everybody else. Um, Skelton missed, but that was enough for the motorcycle to stop uh, because they were getting shot at. And the three men climbed off and stood around, clearly trying to figure out what was going on. So there's two sides of what happens next. And really this whole episode. That is, one is Lawrence's account. And the others is literally every other person that was there that day. Uh, Lawrence says that the motorcycle was speeding right towards them and did not stop when Skelton fired at them. By all accounts, this is totally and completely impossible, as they were in a field full of thick rows of grapes and the men were over 200 yards away. Also, in the documentary, he, sa- he says, well, he couldn't see over the grapes. They were too thick. Uh, so he couldn't actually see them. That- so that's why he told Skelton to open fire. But he also claims that the motorcycle was a threat and- or-, or moving right. or acting in a threatening manner. You can't fucking have it both ways. <laughs> like, which do-, do I believe that you're incompetent and you're ordering people to fire without seeing the target? Or do I believe that you totally and completely saw them? And saw something different than 30 other people. Which one? He doesn't seem to decide which choice it is. He, yeah. 
What is known and agreed on is that Skelton missed and the men climbed off. Uh, and they just kind of waited around because they're like, well, normally when somebody shoots at me, they're going to come talk to me. Afghan soldiers yelled at them to stay where they were, and they did, waiting around their bike. Lawrence screamed for soldiers to continue to engage the men, but nobody would. This is when NCOs began to get involved. Several of the NCO, uh, the platoon senior NCOs, including the platoon sergeant, Sergeant Ayers, and Sergeant McGinnis, uh, who I had the pleasure of getting fucking shit-faced with once, uh, were running around. and uh, So McGinnis was in a different position, but he was on the radio telling them not to fire and screaming. It, it eventually evolved into kind of something of a screaming match between the two of them. But other sergeants were like, nobody fire. Don't fucking do it. Um, so this, like I said, devolved into a screaming match between the NCOs and the lieutenant. Uh, which I assume is how most decisions are made in the army. Um, but all, what it boils down to is almost everybody knew that their platoon leader was very, very wrong, and they did not want their soldiers to, to continue doing that. That was when the Lawrence gun, the radio, demanded a truck with its mounted 240 Bravo machine gun to open fire, and the gunner, a private Shiloh, did. Um, now, I kind of feel bad for Shiloh. Shiloh was, was someone who was very, very young, and he was a private, and he was getting yelled at by a lieutenant to do something. Um, not many privates would have the guts to not do it. No, not at all. And I think that's why he did it. And, right. it's, and it's very hard, like especially with him spreading around what's fucking uh, false information about mm. ROE and everything like that. It's very, very hard to distinguish between what is a an ethical order and what's not, because right. we're all know that we don't have to follow you know orders that aren't fucking ethical but not ethical legal legal moral legal moral ethical yeah the the other two are pretty stretchy but legal is pretty set in stone right right but if (laughs) your platoon leader has been spreading around that you engage anybody on a motorcycle and the roe's changed and all these other things and then he's screaming at you to fire like what the fuck are you gonna do of course you're gonna fire yeah, it, it definitely muddles the waters, which is probably what he wanted. And he targeted and ordered privates to do his bidding. Because remember, he was former enlisted. He knows the privates are probably not okay. I mean, they're not going to risk themselves. They don't know. I mean, I don't know what their combat experience was. I don't know how long they've been in the military. Shiloh's probably a fucking teenager. Um, but I don't know if he willingly did this, so I can't say he did. But I feel like he, he told the people he knew would listen to a lieutenant. Right. And sergeants were doing their fucking best to make sure they couldn't, but you know. Good job, NCOs. Yeah, they the NCOs were definitely in the right, hundred percent. And I do not say that often because I did not meet many I liked. <laughs> Same. So big ups to your guys. Hey. <laughs> yeah, we did something right. <laughs> and then Shiloh killed two people, wounding a third. That got dark. Yeah. Uh, a young boy ran towards the three down men, which were his relatives in horror, and Lorenz ordered Shiloh to kill them too, and that's when Shiloh said, no, I refuse. He would not do it. So, good. Immediately, people uh, knew what just happened was very, very wrong. Sergeant Williams, who had watched the entire thing unfold via a high-powered camera from a nearby base, said, quote, I got on the radio, was like, what the fuck just happened? There's no threat from those guys. This is immediately afterwards. The, three, the soldiers searched the, the two down men. The wounded man had got up and ran as fast as he, his wounded body would take him. I think he was shot in the arm, so he was able to, to get the fuck out pretty fast. Right. Um, and all they found were some scissors, an ID card, and the three cucumbers. Those Probably scissors. their lunch. Yeah. Now, if they were in the U.S., they'd have been good. Uh, 
He pointed a cucumber at me. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> not wrong, though. Not wrong. No, not, you're not. Not good. Uh, screaming and crying civilians from the village uh, began to like run up and see what the fuck was going on. And they wanted to see what was happening. And Lawrence told them if anybody touched the bodies, he'd kill them. According to court documents and sworn statements from other soldiers, when he was confronted by an elder, he said, shut up or I'll kill you too. A helicopter arrived because after the shooting, a helicopter was ordered uh, on site and uh, began to orbit the area and mostly just looking for that third wounded man who had ran off because they're like, he might have a weapon or something. He didn't. Uh, or a cucumber. He, he left his cucumber behind. Oh. Uh, I bullet- we need to find him to return his fucking cucumber. Yeah. Uh, and that helicopter took the only known picture of the crime scene with the bodies still in place. There is when this starts to get a little bit fuzzy. So after something like this, um, you get in a, 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 a firefight and they leave dead bodies behind, which is rare, but that happens. Um, you're supposed to conduct a battle damage assessment. Um, or BDA. This includes biometrics of the dead bodies, like pictures of their irises and fingerprints, um, pictures of the area, their weapons, shit like that. Um, it's the far above my pay grade, but it normally involves uh, weaving together intelligence matrices so you can better target uh, Taliban cells in the area. Lawrence didn't do any of that. Uh, Private First Class Skelton should have been the one to conduct the battle damage assessment. He had the training and the equipment needed to do so. It was also his job. Um, but he was specifically ordered by Lawrence to stay away from the bodies with the excuse of you won't like what you'll see. Now, remember, Skelton has saw more combat than Lawrence is probably pretty familiar with what that looks like since he's the guy who literally has yeah. to take iris pictures of dead corpses. You won't like what you see. And remember, Skelton isn't the one who actually shot them. He missed. But like he was he was purposely keeping Skelton away from the, the crime scene because he knew what Skelton's job was. Ugh. He told another soldier who did not have the training or the equipment to go conduct a battle damage assessment, meaning there could not be pictures taken, there could not be biometrics. Mm. Yep. Yep. Okay. He's purposefully fucking with the investigation at this point. Um, he then told villagers to immediately take the bodies away and ordered his radio operator to report that they could not do the battle damage assessment because the villagers had taken the bodies too fast. The operator refused to do so because passing a false report is le- illegal, so Lawrence did it himself. God, he's really into the illegal stuff. He then lied to Sergeant Ayers and said the helicopter reported spotting the men with weapons before Shiloh had engaged them with machine gun fire. Now, everything Lawrence is doing here is illegal, but it's obvious with uh, Ayers, he's trying to obfuscate any actual investigation to the incident by changing stories while everybody still had it fresh and malleable in their heads. This happens a lot. And it's not normally for um, nefarious reasons. When soldiers get in firefights, they all see different things. Very rarely do you see a uniform picture. Everybody's looking at something different. People get tunnel vision on different stuff. And then when you guys start sharing stories afterwards, like, oh, fuck, that's what happened. And the story begins to knit into a larger picture. What Lawrence is trying to do is fuck up that larger picture right here. I don't know if he knew that. but That's what he's trying to do. Now, remember when I said that Skelton should have been the one to conduct the BDA and he's told not to? Well, he was the company intelligence support soldier, which is a job that I used to have. It's your job to go do reports on BDAs. You brief people about what you saw. You turn in all the information. You have to write a report. It's really dumb. Uh, but that was his job. Lawrence knew that, and he told him to leave the part out of his report where he told him not to do his job. So he told him to lie. Yes. He told him to lie to, a, to the company commander. Got it. Yeah. 
So he's telling soldiers to lie yes. about the decisions that he made yep. during this whole thing. Yep. He's telling soldiers to lie. Yep. Got it. Lie to cover up my multiple felonies, please. Swell guy. Yeah. Uh, so this is the thing is, uh, Skelton knew all of this was deeply, deeply troubling and illegal. So when Skelton went in to talk to the company commander, he immediately told him everything. Nice. Like that night. Yay, Skelton. Yeah. Way, way to go, buddy. Uh, <laughs> Lawrence was now, this is where things are like, and this is where Captain Swanson, which is the company commander, was like, well, we don't really know what happened out there. So uh, why don't you keep this to yourself, Skelton? Didn't happen. No. Swanson immediately launched an investigation, and Lawrence was suspended from his duties while it was conducted. So three days. He was in, he was in command for three days. Nice. 72 motherfucking hours. Less than. All right. Um, uh, now, Swanson took all the men into a room and had them all write sworn statements while it was fresh in their mind, which is what you're supposed to do. Right. Um, now, not only was everybody like, yep, I'll write a sworn statement. Absolutely. They all painted the same consistent picture that Lawrence ordered the murder of two men that were in no, in no way were they a threat. And this is like some kind of weird collaboration type or like meets hive mind group activity of like whatever I just saw was horrible and bad. And we have to say something because I have never heard of a platoon of soldiers being more in sync. <laughs> this is what pisses me off so much about this documentary is they do not emphasize how fucking unlikely it would be to get an entire platoon to lie. Even if it was slightly sideways. Because, and I'm guilty of this, and I'm sure you guys would be guilty of this too. And if there's a lot of veterans listening or active duty people listening, they are also guilty of this. If something like this happened, and it was like a shoot, no shoot situation, and you just kind of fucked up. Everybody would probably keep their mouth shut. We're all put in a situation where you might fuck up and you might kill the wrong person. But there's a difference between manslaughter and murder. Where, it like, I'm not saying that's okay. I'm just saying that's the reality of what war looks like and it's not fucking pretty. Right. And it shouldn't be okay. But for an entire platoon to be like, that was fucked up is insane. Like, yeah, it's nuts. You can barely get a team, a team, which is like what? Like five people, depending on the unit, but depending on the yeah. unit. Yeah. Like maybe five to 10 people. You can barely get a team to all stick with the same story and fucking see eye to eye on shit. So for an entire platoon to fucking all say, yeah, this is what fucking happened and it was fucking wrong because you know those guys did not get along. What's you it? know those guys were driving each other fucking crazy and they didn't give a fuck what each other thought. Right, and it's impressive that you could get 30 people or, I mean, there's a lot of people involved to uniformly agree on what right and wrong is. Yeah, because like you can't. <laughs> especially, especially in the military where there's always like one guy in every fire team that would be like totally down with genociding Afghanistan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um. Like, there's just no way. Yeah, yeah. And he, so he was eventually relegated to a desk job uh, for the rest of the deployment while they worked their way through the investigation. Um, and when he was returned home with his unit, he was arrested on two counts of murder, attempted murder, misconduct, various kinds of obstruction, and breaking just about every rule in the UCMJ. Now, um, it's just, this continues to blow my mind. Um, so six soldiers who they said were guilty of crimes during the shooting, were granted immunity to testify. 
Um, that includes Shiloh, Skelton, and some others. Uh, which I'm glad. I feel bad for Shiloh. I understand he did something wrong, but I don't put him completely at fault for his actions. No. I'm glad that he got immune. He was right. probably like, what, 18, 19? He's a PFC? He was pretty young. Yeah, yeah a little baby. Yeah. Um, I if when I was a private, I probably would have done it. And I don't say that like to to lighten the situation. Like privates do what they t- what you what you tell them to do. And they're conditioned to do so. Yeah, yeah. Under under very v- specific pain. And it's hard to distinguish what's fucking legal, moral, and ethical, especially in a, in a moment's notice. Yeah. If a lieutenant's yelling in your ear for something. That sounds like an argument that Lawrence's side would tell, kind of. Uh, now, uh, during his trial, Lawrence argued his side of the story, and it failed miserably. Uh, I would go into detail about what his argument was, but it largely hinged on, well, I can't control what my men do. And also, what they did was okay. Obviously, it was wrong. Right. But, um, yeah. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison at the U.S. Military Disciplinary Barracks at Fort Leavenworth. Um, he was convicted of roughly one crime per day uh, during his time in command of a platoon, <laughs> which the- has to set some kind of record. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Every day you were in command, you sucked. Now, th- <laughs> this is yeah. Uh, this is where he, he was found guilty of more crimes than he was uh, in uh, days in, in command of that platoon. That is a record. Yeah. Um, now, this is the story that happens after he's in prison is where shit gets wild. Um, since then, he and his family, as well as several right-wing shitheads, have been screaming endlessly about his release. Um, this includes people like Alan West, a, I believe he's a uh, retired colonel or something, that I think he was forced into retirement for doing something deeply unethical. I didn't really look into it. And Tucker Carlson, a very well-known grifter and a out-and-out white nationalist. Uh, this includes his shit heel lawyer, John Mayer. No, not that John Mayer. <laughs> I love John Mayer. <laughs> Clint Lawrence is a wonderland. <laughs> I totally thought of that John Mayer. Too. I was like, oh, cool. I like his music. Yeah. When I, I wrote that, I'm like, Rich is going to giggle about this. Uh, Mayer argued that the army withheld evidence when they went to trial, which would have been bad and would have been a case for misconduct. They they didn't do that. Uh, he goes on to say that there is no proof other than several secondhand accounts that Lawrence is on the rooftop when the sharpshooter opened fire randomly in a nearby village. It turns out there's actually pictures of the incident that show Lawrence standing right next to the sharpshooter with binoculars in his hand. Whoops. Hmm. Uh, so that evidence that Mayor said that the army withheld, it was nothing. And also it's less than nothing. One of the men who had been killed was related to the member of, to a, a member of the Taliban, and uh, and the man who was wounded ended up taking part in an IED attack after he got shot on Lawrence's orders. The de- another dead man ended up uh, being connected to uh, the bombing of a U.S. unit at at some point. It's immaterial. It's although that's all deflection, and here's why: neither one of those bits of ev- evidence, one of which would have required some kind of fucking time machine, would have mattered at that moment. Right. For this argument to work, you'd have to accept that all prisoners of war or enemy, enemy prisoners of war are subject to execution. Or that it is okay for U.S. soldiers to be able to kill anyone that's even tentatively related to the Taliban. Or some kind of Tom Cruise crime time machine is in use by the U.S. military and Clint Lawrence worked for pre-crime. Tom Cruise is a time machine? <laughs> it's a movie. 
Oh, okay. I need or, to or like any God damn it, Nick. any fucking military aged male is just fucking up for grabs. Like, no, that's not how that works. Like, there's no investigation done for them to know that beforehand. So it doesn't fucking work. Right. This this means that Mayor is attempting to exonerate his client by saying he broke other actually more serious crimes. And also, laws. the the wounded guy who he's you, pissing on his own balls. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh no. Um, the wounded guy who. You said he was uh, linked to an IED after the fact? Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah, I would fucking try to blow up U.S. troops too if y'all fucking shot me. Yeah, yeah. You want to really like fast-track recruit to the Taliban? Fucking put a speed hole in me. Fucking shoot at me and my family yeah. members and my children and shit. Like, do it, and I will fucking try to kill you. This this Clint Lawrence incident is actually a really great spider graph for why counterinsurgency doesn't work. Uh, Mayor... Also brought out someone else totally new to the case, a civilian contractor named Kevin Huber, or Hubber, one of the two. <laughs> Kevin was operating a camera on a stationary blimp at the day of the shooting. This is from Lawrence's new court petition filed to bring his case from the military court system to the federal court system. A petition, which I have to point out, succeeded, which also didn't end up mattering. But Huber writes, quote, I saw three fighting age males shadowing the American patrol at a distance of about 300 meters. Uh, Huber wrote in Lawrence's new court petition that will be presented to the civilian court. In my experience, they have every indication of the Taliban or insurgent fighters because they were armed with AK-47 rifles and carrying ICOM radios while moving along the back wall of the village towards the American position. Okay. I cannot legally call Huber a lying piece of shit. I'm not saying I called that, called him that because that'd be considered slander if I say Huber is a lying piece of shit, which remember, I did not call Kevin Huber a lying piece of shit. What are like? What are the guidelines? Like, why are you not able to say that? Can I say it? No. I feel like he's a lying piece of shit. I'm not saying I called him a lying piece of shit. I think we texted about this for a hour. <laughs> you feel like he's a lying piece of shit, Nick? What Joe said. <laughs> I'm just saying, I did not call him a lying piece of shit. Um, I might think he is, but I didn't call him that. Huber's testimony flies in the face of around 30 eyewitnesses, a helicopter pilot who's overhead, as well as Sergeant Williams, who also watched the shooting on camera. It also goes against every piece of physical evidence found at the scene of the crime. Remember, none of them had weapons. Had cucumbers. Depe- yeah, depending on how strongly you feel how about big vegetables. big were those cucumbers? <laughs> I mean, were they the English cucumbers? Because those are really long. I doubt it. They were in Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've seen the Afghan cucumbers pretty small. Don't bring them. They are del- they are delicious though. They are delicious. You would know. Yeah. Is that a dick joke? You're making a dick joke, right? I hope yes, you're proud of yourself. I absolutely am. I hope you're proud of yourself. I hope everybody else is proud of me. I also. love eating Afghan men's cucumbers. <laughs> <clears throat> that means even if we buy the idea that Huber was right and those men those men did have weapons earlier, let's say they are all strapped to the fucking gills with weapons, but they no longer did, which means it was not legal to shoot them. So it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, fuck off, Huber. If Huber was correct in his assumption that these three men were scouting an American patrol also, for a later attack, that also does not mean you can legally shoot them. I hope we're saying his name wrong. I, well, I probably am. I hope we are, it just would, to piss him off. If I accidentally say a name correctly, that'd be the first time in this podcast's history. <laughs> you say your name right. That's about all I got. All right. <laughs> now... This pisses me off because, like, well, if you knew somebody was scouting you for a tactical shoot, no, because I watched it happen. <laughs> Anybody who deployed and saw combat knows when they're being scouted and also knows they couldn't be shot at. Now, way back in the day, 
you could in like 2006 through whenever when in Iraq and, and early on in Afghanistan, that would totally fucking happen. But this is 2012. Petraeus didn't let you shoot at a goddamn thing unless you could be absolutely sure. And for all of Petraeus' fucking faults, and there are plenty, that is not one of them. But yeah, fuck Kevin Huber. Solid. You not lying piece of shit. <laughs> you probably lying piece of shit. <laughs> also important note- noting, Huber later changed the story. Did he? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he said he wasn't sure if they were really armed or not, and he wasn't sure if they were the same people. So I talked, to, I talked to one soldier who was an eyewitness and testified on the stand against Clint Lawrence, uh, but I will not name him because I'm playing journalist during this episode, who said, quote, that guy is full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> he could say it. Good quote. Good quote. <laughs> so it gets even dumber the further we go into this. This is an onion of dumb. Oh, it goes more. As, as you pull in, you begin to cry because uh, you lose faith in humanity, but also because it's dumb. Not everything sticks. I right? don't accept that. You should. <laughs> There's, layers. There's layers to this onion of doom. Uh, one of Lawrence's attorneys was a guy named Don Brown, who looks like what would happen if a pile of mashed potatoes gained sentience. <laughs> now, Brown is an unhinged racist and an Islamophobe who once wrote a book titled Treason. And the storyline is where a bunch of U.S. Navy Muslim chaplains attempt to create a terrorist cell. So yeah. <laughs> Hold on, what? Is it a Tom Clancy book? It's Tom Clancy if Tom Clancy was really into the Turner <laughs> yeah, Diaries. Dude. I know that this is somewhat irrelevant, but I love all the food-based references. <laughs> Brown also wrote a book on Lawrence's case called Travesty. Uh, uh, sorry, it's Travesty of Justice, uh, where he decides to put the blame of the entire shooting on the Afghan army, saying that they're the ones who shot the people. Did people buy his books? This is fucking nuts because uh, they just caused this literally flies in the face of everything to include Clint Lawrence's own words. It was the Afghan on the grassy knoll. You can't just make stuff up. That's not how shit works. That's how everything works now. It was the Afghan on the grassy knoll. Good reference. I like that one. Uh... (laughs) Another argument that his other attorney, Mayor Eliza, is you cannot take the testimony uh, uh, of those soldiers seriously because they were given immunity uh, so they could say whatever they wanted. They're not going to go to prison. One, that's not how immunity deals work, and he knows that he's a fucking attorney. Because like, so if you're given a, a deal like that, and you go on stage, and you uh, go on stage, you, 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 you go out there, and you just fucking lie, or, or you fuck up, and you don't do what you're supposed to do, they just take the goddamn deal and prosecute you. That's how those work. It happens all the time. Also, nine people testified against him. Only six were granted immunity. You stupid fuck. God. God. <sighs> now, much has been made about Clint Lawrence uh, as being hamstrung and left out to dry by the rules of engagement. This is despite the fact that he had lied several times and attempted to create his own rules of engagement that existed only in Clint Lawrence fantasy land. Um, also, this goes, uh, he obviously didn't believe in his own rules because he immediately attempted to cover up his own murders. Uh, even though there was a platoon's worth of eyewitnesses. And you said you, he hung these rules up in the talk. Yeah, it's noted in uh, the Court of Criminal Appeals. I believe they had samples. <laughs> I hope it was a shitty word document that said, this is okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a, a Honda motorcycle with an X through it. Yeah. Done in MS Paint. Like an Acme style. Yeah. Take your sip. <laughs> the blood's all angered up the vodka helps now 
if he had thought he was within the established rules of engagement, which he created in his head, he would not have destroyed the crime scene. I'd go further say that if his soldiers thought he was within the stated rules of engagement, they would not have testified against him. Right. They would not have all written the same fucking sworn statement against him. No, how that generally works is, and this is not right, it's morally, it's immoral and unethical. Well, all of us here in the show will agree that. Our producer will as well. If not, he can tell me to go fuck myself. Is a group of soldiers in combat. If somebody acts reasonably the same situation that I would act, I'll forgive them. Even if it's wrong. And that's not right. It's not cool. That's generally how it works. Like, if you exist in the realm of fucked up, twisted norms of the military and soldiers in general, soldiers generally won't turn against you. Right. Certainly not like this. I mean, there's cases of whistleblowers like we talked about in Haditha and we talked about in the Mamudia rapes and murders. Those were whistleblowers. These aren't fucking whistleblowers. They're witnesses. Oh, an entire <laughs> platoon full of witnesses. Yeah, yeah. It still amazes me. Well, that that and happened. like... I understood that he was only there for three days. Yeah. But there's a certain level of camaraderie and brotherhood and everything that like little things are going to fucking slide versus and they're not going to like what motive do they have to fucking hang this guy out to dry after three days of knowing him? Good news, because that's what I'm about to talk about. So in the documentary, uh, Laurent shows himself to be totally unrepentant, refusing to acknowledge he did anything wrong. He accuses the soldiers who wrote the sworn statements and testified against him of conspiring against him or simply not liking him. At one point, he makes some jab about 15 minutes of fame. Won't really go into that, but the bonus episode with Mike McGinnis certainly will. I can't wait for that. Um, so this is despite the fact that the soldiers really didn't even know who he was. Uh, he had only been command for three days. And according to a soldier I talked to, Lawrence never spoke to or socialized with any of them. Um, none of that breaking of the ice shit, no hanging out, no chilling by the smoke pit no spades yeah, nothing every peel i've encountered have always wanted to get to know their own soldiers yeah, yeah. i've had shitty lieutenants and even they wanted to like yeah. small talk also, and this this isn't just soldiers this is with his own squad leaders and platoon sergeant that's even weirder yeah i've known i've known a lot of terrible people that i've served with i've served with some fucking horrible leaders i've served with some really fucking toxic leaders i have served with some leaders who made me want to cry in the morning before going to work i have never served with anyone that i was like you know what i'm gonna say they fucking committed a war crime just so i can get rid of them or get them out of my face or show them fucking what like i have never once in my life said this person is so horrible that i'm going to ruin their life i'm literally going to commit multiple felonies to get him out of here yes, like nobody does exactly. that exactly <laughs> i mean he might as well have been a random guy who happened to pop into their lives and change them all for the worse in the span of 72 yeah. hours that's all he was and like that that's the thing is like i talked to these guys and they are still fucking traumatized by the situation oh they look they that's the thing that also kind of pisses me off about the documentary is that clint lawrence in his fucking prison uniform in his cell looks fucking fine and all of the guys who are being he's carrying no weight on his soldier no not at all he literally thinks that nothing ever wrong ever happened he's he's clearly the the victim here all of the guys who served with him all of the guys who wrote the sworn statements and who are witnesses to this look fucking haunted yeah yeah, and like I've been told that several people involved in the situation have taken their own lives since then. To include one, the week he was pardoned, and nobody has said shit. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, like like Rich just said, the the idea that these soldiers hated him to the extent they're willing to commit multiple crimes themselves, such as filling out false sworn statements, which is something he did, by the way, um, uh, go on the stand and lie and break the law, like at least and three at least in three different directions, just to get rid of a shitty lieutenant they didn't like, is fucking absurd. Um, now, because uh, I have to piss you off even further. Before we get to the other stuff, they'll piss you off even more. Clint Laurent said, quote, I can do prison, but I would never look these mothers in the face and tell them that their sons are no longer alive because I didn't do my job. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Fucking gross. Now, this is where I'd like to say that the story ends. And when I wrote the script, it did. Uh, so that changed and I had to update it. His appeals were over, exhausted, and the army really seemed ready to let him rot in prison till the end of his sentence. But it doesn't end there. Lawrence's defenders would not stop getting airtime, most of them on Fox News or other various right-wing channels like the OWN Network and other stupid shit. Um, or the Zero Blog 30 podcast, you fucking assholes. Um, now, as one would expect, they were eventually joined by the vaping congressman and guy who will almost certainly go to federal prison himself, Duncan Hunter. Uh, the guy who committed campaign fraud to fly his rabbit <laughs> yeah. across the country. Uh, and then blamed his wife like J crew and shit. Right. And then blamed his wife. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Solid. Yep. Uh, Honestly, the only good part of this entire documentary series was when one member of the platoon watches clips of Sean Hannity talking about the case. And the the soldier is just like fucking baffled and nervously laughing about all the like the lies he's spouting. Like, this is fucking bullshit, man. These this is these are all fucking fuck this guy. It's the best part of the whole series. I would watch an hour of these guys getting drunk <laughs> and watching Fox News and just like roast battling them. It would be fucking That'd great. Be awesome. I will pay for that myself to, to get those guys together. Um, new donation goal? Yeah, new, new Patreon <laughs> donation goal. Uh, fucking Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah, with, but better. With these guys. Um, also, uh, this... This whole thing brought me to an organization that I never knew existed before named United American Patriots. Uh, Now, if you have never heard of them, I do not blame you because they were generally on the down low until very, very recently. Um, They are, for lack of a better term, a war criminal advocacy group. Uh, Now, on their website, they proudly have all of the pictures they of the men that they advocate for no women mind you uh i don't think uh, I, don't, I don't think they're huge fans of lindy england but uh that might have been before their time um this one of the pictures on there which piqued my interest was none other than robert bales really uh now bales is not alone in their rogues gallery of war criminals this includes calvin gibbs uh the leader of the so-called kill team who murdered afghan civilians and then collected their body parts as souvenirs uh, it includes Richard Camacho, a former captain who kidnapped a woman, beat and tortured her for eight hours before raping her. Uh, like Florence, he was also an 82nd Airborne. Yeah. Uh, also, should be know that Camacho only served two years in prison and now he's free. What the fuck? They also defended and advocated for Private First Class Corey Claggett. Claggett was part of a group of soldiers who captured several Iraqis, ordered them to run, and then shot them in the back. UAP spent... Over $100,000 working to free Claggett, who was eventually released on parole and now works for him. Uh, now, pretty much every single person that UAP has freed uh, now works for them in some capacity or another. Normally, as uh, spokespeople or um, 
uh, they they trolled Capitol Hill attempting to get Congress people to listen to them. Um, and I, I couldn't find any information, and I had three people working on this about who funds these guys. They're a not they are five hundred one c or five whatever it's called uh, nonprofit. Uh, so they have they are technically supposed to exist on donations. Those donations are hidden by various LLCs and and shell companies, but they almost all trace back to the far right of the political spectrum. Many of them members of the U.S. government. Yay! Go. Us. Now, I emailed the UAP for this episode. Uh, I wanted to know if, like Lawrence and other men like Gallagher and Goldstein, um, that these men, uh, that they were like av- advocating, f- I don't know if it's Goldstein or Goldstein, I'm not good at that name, um, uh, are, are advocating for the release of Robert Bales. I thought that was pertinent information. I wanted to, I, I guess I was trying to gauge how terrible they were. It sounds like it. Like, say what you will, but there, there is, a, is a much different category of crime between what Clint Lawrence and what Robert Bales did. I think we can all agree to that. Yes. One is attempting to free a, a shitty murderer, and the other one is attempting to free like the guy who shot up the church in North Carolina. You know what I'm saying? Like, or even that fucking Camacho guy fucking kidnapped a woman and raped her and held her captive and for eight hours. Yeah. Yeah, that's. And uh, the I believe uh uh um. The Army Criminal Court wanted to char- wanted to give him one charge per hour that he held her captive and that got pled down or something. Not super familiar with that, but yeah, he's free. He's free. Um, now I wanted to know what exactly what were they advocating for Robert Bales? Like, were they advocating that he gets mental health treatment? Were they advocating what were they advocating? It just says that they're advocating. So I was like, I'm gonna email them. I did not expect them to ever email me back because by this point, a quick Google search of my name. Pretty quickly reveals that I am not talking to them in good faith. <laughs> Do you ever try to go undercover? Uh, Maybe e- that would help. My email address is jjkasabian at, at gmail.com. Maybe it should be fatballs69 or something. Uh, probably less likely to answer that one. Fatballs? Yeah, with a ph. Oh, okay. That's P-H-A-T-A. not better. It's not better. Um, it's better than your name at this point. So it, it turns out they are kind of dumb. Uh, now I was very straightforward in my email. I put my best journalism hat on. I didn't just tell them like, I I, I didn't try to bow for them or anything. <laughs> Though I did originally think about it. Uh, I simply asked them if they were advocating for the release of Robert Bales. Now, if anybody wants the full transcript of the emails, I'll give it to them. But that's what my email boiled down to. I I was like, you know what? I'm just curious if you're advocating for the release of Robert Bales. So they talked in circles. Uh, they, I eventually did not, I did not speak to Lieutenant Ger- Colonel Bull Gerfine, uh, who is their CEO, even though I was told that they were going to use me. What was that fucking name again? So I was puzzled Bull is a nickname that he goes by, which he definitely gave himself. Bull, like B-O-W-L, like I eat bowl, cereal out like, of you? Like a bull. That's not a good nickname. Yeah. No, it's not. It's like a, like an animal. Run- bull. Yes, bull. You're saying, you're saying like bull. Like, I'm saying a bull. You fucking Michigan fuck. <laughs> fuck you too. I'm glad. I'm glad that California and Texas can finally ally for something. But so his, I talked to his spokesperson, and they continually said we will get you in contact with him. It never happened. But I did talk to the next layer of spokesperson up. I don't know how their ranking system works. The real onion. Yeah. Um. So they, uh, again, kind of circle talked to me. Then they linked me to a blog entry, which is just the entry under Robert Bales' name on their website, which I had definitely read by them. <laughs> um, 
And then I read it just to make sure. And then I responded again. Are you advocating for the release of Robert Bales? They then copy and pasted the blog entry and put it into an email. <laughs> so then I finally restated my question. I think it was three or four times. And they gave me an answer. It's a fucking long one. Uh, and I'm not a journalist. And fairness is not really in my vocabulary. Um, but I will read the response in full because as Mike McGinnis has warned me, they're almost certainly listening to this episode. <laughs> Sweet. What's up, guys? Quote, Lieutenant Colonel. So this is this is a long this is a pretty long email, so give me some time. <laughs> Quote, Lieutenant Colonel Gerfine and the UAP continues to advocate for the presidential review of Bob Bale's case, in, including exhuming all bodies of the of those who Bob was alleged to have killed so that their biometrics can be compared to those contained in US government databases. This database contains biometrics of every known combatant and bomb maker. Um, of note. No U.S. personnel ever verified who or how many people were actually killed. We request an evaluation of Bob's mens rea, which is a legalese term I am not familiar with, at the time to include the impact mefloquine had on his mental state and his decision-making ability. Mefloquine is a malaria pill. We, know. we request an explanation as to why enemy combatants were flown into America, placed on Delta Airlines with U.S. citizens allowed to testify against Bob during a sentence and taken to SeaWorld and then flown back to Afghanistan and released. We'll talk about that. <laughs> also, also of note, Bob never stood trial. He was coerced into signing a confession which neither verified nor cons- was consistent with the actions Bob claims to have taken nor the amount and status quote or in parentheses enemy or civilian of people bob was alleged to have killed he did so to avoid risk sent- being sentenced to the death penalty bob was motivated to sign this inaccurate confession by his wife uh, she urged him to do so so that the government which has a 98% conviction rate and courts martials would not take his life she admitted uh, she wanted him to stay alive for her and their two children Bob's wife then moved, moved closer to USDB at Fort Leavenworth so they could continue to support her husband, and Bob and his children could spend time together daily, which they do to this day. Bob has acknowledged and regrets that he has killed non-civilian combatants. Uh, however, he claims that he actually killed 20, not 16, that he confessed to. Oh. Weird, <laughs> weird flex. Yeah. Uh, also, they are not all non-combatants. If this is true, Bob's intent was to kill Tal- Taliban enemy combatants, and actually did so. Then those non-combatants who he had killed, as tragic as it was, would be identified as cases of, quote, collateral damage. Quote, the quotes are theirs. Collateral damage is how we classify all unfortunate non-combatant deaths resulting from the actions of our warriors when they are engaged in the killing of enemy combatants, not, quote, murder. Once all the details of Bob's cases are known, Lieutenant Colonel Gerfine, Gerfine, whatever, and the UAP will determine the appropriate next steps, which could include advocating for Bob's release, end quote. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there, and I don't want to be the one to do it. it really so is. I got in contact with a member of uh, the prosecution team that put Bob ba- Robert Bales in prison for Robert the rest Bales. of his life. I'm not comfortable calling him Bob. Robert, and, yeah. yeah and Gerfine should forever henceforth be called Bull. So I was not able to unpack a lot of that because a lot of it's legalese and a lot of it's obvious lies. So I ended up getting in contact kind of accidentally with a member of the prosecution team that put Robert Bales in prison. I will not say who it was. I will just say he was a very high-ranking officer and had no business speaking to me. Um, (laughs) Now, uh, uh, he did his best to explain why all of this, and it's a very long email, which I will not quote because it kind of outs who he is. Um, But he goes line by line and says why all of it is lies. Um, For obvious legal reasons, like collateral damage is not a term that the United States 
court uses. Um, their conviction rate is not 98%. Um, they had forensic evidence from his weapons to include blood inside the barrel of a gun, meaning it was a contact shot, meaning a shot of execution. Um, I could go on. Oh, um, the there meth- was a two-year-old child that th- was killed. There was uh, signs of uh, of knife wounds and blood on his knife. Um, they actually offered nine different um, expert witnesses to testify on behalf of Mefloquine, not having uh, any kind of impact on his mental state. They turned it down. Yeah. Uh, in short, they're lying. It's the long and short of it. They're lying. Mm. Also, why are these important people speaking to me? <laughs> <laughs> but wait. Wait. Are you going to see no, World Park? I don't want to wait. Are you, oh, oh, those. Okay. I was they were not enemy combatants. They were just Afghans. <laughs> they were Afghans from the village, eyewitnesses uh, or audio witnesses to the massacre or uh, family members thereof. Yes. Some of them, like we have talked about before, were probably related to members of the Taliban. Because who fucking isn't at this point? Right. And when you come in and kill 60, between 16 and 20, also weird fucking flex, he says it's 20 now, <laughs> that of course they're going to be in the Taliban. Now, I, I, I didn't mean to bring up Robert Bales during this episode, but Clint Lawrence and Robert Bales share the same attorney, and Robert Bales is in the documentary, and he blames his actions and, and uh, the, the increased uh, scrutiny on... Uh, on war crimes to why Clint Lawrence got, uh, got thrown in prison. It's fucking disgusting. Yeah. Just fucking gross. Yeah. Yep. I hate them all so much. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And this is why Mike McGinnis called this attorney a fucking scumball on hell of a way to die, which then got the podcast introduced as uh, federal evidence. <laughs> <laughs> which is fucking awesome. It's hilarious. Awesome. Yep. Good job, Nate and Francis. It gets worse. You want to know how it gets worse? Ready? Ready? No, I don't. No. On November 15th, no. 2019, President Donald J. Trump pardoned Clint Lawrence, Matt Goldstein, and restored the rank of Eddie Gallagher, who will now be able to retire at the pay rate of E7. Yep. Yep. That this happened. Episode's awesome. That'll happen. Um, now, I'm not super familiar with, um, with Goldstein's case. Uh, Goldstein, I, I, I'm not sure which one. I didn't do a lot of research in him. I just know he's accused of kidnapping and murdering an Afghan guy who we thought was a Taliban bomb maker. <sighs> yep. Uh, a crime he openly admitted to doing during a Fox News interview. Because <laughs> wow. of course he did. He then dug up the body because uh, he thought he was going to get cat. Oh yeah, did I mention he, he buried it in a shallow grave because he did that. And then he dug it up, drug it to a different place, and then burned it. And then buried that. So you didn't bring Cause, that Because that's what yeah. an innocent guy does. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, what, that's, that's what an innocent person does. Um, and after that, almost immediately after that, um, Clint Lawrence walked out of Leavenworth a free man wearing his dress uniform, his rank restored, and now on official active status in the United States Army. Yep. How do you guys feel about that? Sick. Now, I, I would not ask you your opinions on an active duty lieutenant, because I know you're not allowed to shit talk him. But since these guys are all going on the news now talking about how dumb generals are, I feel like you're good. Yep. So say what you will. feel bad for the <laughs> officer corps. I don't feel bad for the officer corps. You know, that's somehow the worst thing said during this entire episode. Because, like, of all the, the, the fucking insults, of everything that we said, there's an NCO It's like, I just feel bad for the officer corps, which I think that's the first time any of you have ever said that. It's like, I just, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. <laughs> it's more upsetting yeah. that he's fucking active. Like, he's not in jail. Oh, and you know, like, I don't no, know. not just not in jail. Fucking active member. <laughs> like Exactly. <laughs> because, I mean, and this is true. He he didn't get clemency. 
like Chelsea Manning, he got a pardon. So his crimes have never happened legally. There's no reason for the army to kick him out. It doesn't exist anymore. So I don't, I think he got like six years worth of back pay and he's going to be promoted like immediately unless there's some other like legalese way to get around that. Maybe going on Fox News and shit talking generals is a really good way to like not promote him, but I don't know. Oh, also now he and all those other war criminals I just named, uh, the last three, Gallagher, Goldstein, and, and Lawrence, are all going to go and campaign with the president for re-election, which yeah. is also a massive violation of rules and ethics. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it great? That doesn't change my mind about the president. <sighs> yep, this is I mean, why we drink. If that's, if that's any indication of anything, I still feel the exact same about our POTUS. Um. I somehow, now in the last two days, I recorded my interview with Mike McGinnis yesterday, and we're now recording this today. I did not know it was possible to hate someone more than I already hated war criminals, because like, there's not many people above war criminals that you hate, because that encompasses like every crime, murder, rape, you name it. Like, it encompasses all those things. Uh, genocide, you know. I somehow hate Clint Lawrence more. Like, some of the worst, man. Like, I... At least Robert Bale's like, yeah, I fucked up. <laughs> like, say what you will, but he acknowledged he killed like a lot of people he shouldn't until like he realized he might get a pardon now. I don't think, I do not think that will happen though. There's no fucking way. Don't fucking say that. You don't. I mean, just don't. All right, I'll say it. Maybe if Trump loses re-election, Robert Bale's gets out of prison. What? Yeah. If he loses? Yeah. Why? Because at that point, he has nothing left to lose. Oh. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, I'm not saying that's a, like a good reason to not go vote against him. I don't. I don't mean it that way. Well, please, I feel please dirty vote now. Yep. You should. Yeah, this um, is a great episode. I love. Just now, it. remember when you guys put in your dress blues like next week? So did he when he left prison. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Makes- I, I just I just wore them fucking Wednesday. Yep. So. Yep. And now to make everybody feel better, a question from the Legion. I just want everybody to know. Also, if you don't feel better. That Leica looks really adorable right now. Yeah, she's really the only thing holding this room together. Whenever we get really sad and I start screaming and my and I start doing the Bernie Sanders fingered pointing gesture at these two, which I do a lot, uh, uh, we all just look over at Leica. <laughs> and she looks so cute, just curled up on a body pillow. So uh, now we're going to move to a question from the Legion. And so uh, for people who are unaware, question of the Legion uh, are, is the dumb name that I gave to questions that people ask us on Patreon or through our Twitter DMs. If you would like, ask us a question donate to the patreon even a dollar shoot us a message through there and we will answer it on air so now our question that we have today i'm gonna try to lighten it up a bit because we have a lot of serious ones too we've done that enough today uh what is your favorite regional food from your where you're from yeah you guys just looked at each other why did you both just look at me i'm looking straight ahead because you're both on the same side of the table (laughs) i mean mexican food obviously okay what yeah. Like, what? like specifically? Yeah. Yes. Oh my god. You named a very large genre yeah. of foods. Mexican. Yeah, all of it because I miss it so much because I'm in the fucking Northwest right now and there's no good Mexican food. So you don't have a very that's a very rich answer of you. Are you are you the fucking Pete Buttigieg of Mexican food? <laughs> yes. I can't name anything <laughs> specific, but I feel very strongly about it. <laughs> okay. Let me think further, Nick Hugo. I really like, see, I, I'd like to do a top five, but I'm not going to. Just one. I'm going to do, me one I'm gonna do Indian. Okay. Because I really from like. California? You're from California, but go on. Sorry. 
Do you, am I not allowed to like it? You can like it's, whatever. It is you not want. a regional food from California at all. Yeah, but it is a, it's oh from my region. Yes, I said oh, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, my fault. God. I wasn't listening completely. <laughs> Story of my life. At least this podcast. That's very true. <laughs> I'd have to go with tacos. Thanks. You fucking <laughs> asshole. <laughs> Why did you just call me an asshole? Because you like tacos. Just because. Everybody likes tacos. If, you know, if somebody doesn't like tacos, they're probably an ISIS. And you know what? Even ISIS is like, you know, America's really bad. <laughs> yeah, but tacos, the tacos, though. They're so good. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have, I'm from Michigan, obviously, since they just insulted the way I speak. And I, I have to say the county dog. The county dog is fucking delicious. And they're both looking like they have no idea what that is. And that's, and that's fine. That's fine. This is fine. And you know what? If, if you get a county dog from anywhere that isn't Michigan, it's just a sparkling tube of meat like champagne. It has to be from the champagne region of France. <laughs> All right, Rich. Okay. I'm going to go with tortilla soup. That's like my ultimate comfort food. I like how you guys I are from- gone with soup. <laughs> Soup is not a regional food. There's specific <laughs> kinds of soup. If you ask somebody from New England what their favorite chowder is, they're not going to say, I like chowder in general. They're going to say fucking clam chowder. <laughs> That's why I said tortilla soup. Thank you, Rich. You're not the problem here right now. <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't have gone with this soup. This non-food knowing motherfucker across the table from here is. Anyway, thank you guys for joining me again on the Depression Circle um, or the War Crimes cast or... <sighs> it's not a just, it's just another one. Yeah. It's just, we're not doing another one of these for a while, guys. <laughs> just thanks. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Um, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for like, sharing, and subscribing to our podcast. If you like what we do, our show will always be free and it'll always be ad free. But if you if you if you want to support what we do, you can donate to us on Patreon. And there's all sorts of perks and bonuses that I will not completely get into, but you get a whole lot for because we've already been going for almost an hour and a half now. Uh but Thank you for so much for supporting us. Thank you for putting up with our dumb bullshit and, and soup takes, Nick. Uh, yeah, and- I just wouldn't have gone with soup. I would have gone with something a little bit, you know. Soup so- is the fucking most versatile food you what can possibly eat. What would your other eat? one? I like bread. <laughs> God. Until next time. 